Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody welcome back into a brand new episode of dimming the gaslight my name is mac and thanks for coming in for the newest episode um i want to let you guys know i'm a little bit under the weather today so this intro is going to be a little shorter than it normally is uh because my voice is a little raspy but uh i wanted to thank last week's guest which was dr christine cochiola who gave us great advice for uh child psychology and some of the ways that we can approach communicating with a narcissist it was funny you know, I got a lot of outreach from you guys telling me about how we related to the fact that, yeah, sometimes we put our own children in sort of a bad predicament to communicate with us because, you know, the next is telling them not to and we're trying to get their affection. And sometimes we put them in the middle of that. And I, I feel that. So I kind of implemented Dr. Cochilla's advice and I texted my son. I said, hey, I know it's really hard for you to sometimes text me back, but I'm going to keep texting you. I want you to know that I love you and I would love to hear from you whenever you're ready. And that did help. Um, so thank you to her for that advice. I really love that. And I think a lot of us can implement that. Um, now I wanted to bring back on my lawyer, not because I had a court date recently, but Brittany has such a wealth of information about how to, you know, navigate the court system, especially when you're a pro se and can't afford a lawyer. So she and I have been kicking around this idea and we thought, listen, let's do an episode and talk about how to be your own self-best advocate. So that's why I brought Brittany on. Um, I apologize for my voice in advance, but uh, I think you guys will like this episode, so check it out. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. So uh, this is really an exciting one. Um, I'm back here with my lawyer, Brittany Parisi. Brittany, say hi. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. Thanks, Mac. I always love having you here. But the thing is, so normally Brittany and I do like recaps of my court trials, but she and I have been kicking around this conversation and um, we wanted to do an episode about something that's very near and dear to Brittany's heart. And what that is, is kind of like the art of being your own best self-advocate. So Brittany wanted to come on the show and we wanted to do an episode about like, I've asked Brittany a thousand times, what do you do when you can't afford a divorce? How do you even go pro se? And Brittany's like, well, you know what? We should do an episode about it because there's a lot of people out there that reach out to us. So Brittany, what are some of these key points that are on your list about the art of being your own self best advocate? Sure, absolutely. And I think that's a great introduction to this episode um, because I'm constantly talking about not just helping my clients, but teaching them how to help themselves. So that is what we, when we're saying how to be your own um, best advocate, that's what we mean. How to, uh, you know, stand up for yourself, to know what your rights are and to speak confidently and hold your own in, in, in an otherwise scary situation. I think it's very nerve wracking for people. Oh, it's terrifying. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Especially for people who have no like criminal record, like myself, I have no criminal record. So like all of a sudden I find myself in the midst of this dv trial and i'm going how the fuck and like that's that's a big thing for me is like first coming out of the relationship i felt like what the fuck am i doing here what the hell happened to me i felt like i was clocked over the head like i had a concussion and i like came to and i started like piecing together the puzzle and i remember it was really important for me my last lawyer i remember selling telling me after i got my first tro he said you know, I wanted to ask you a question. He goes, let's say the TRO gets dropped. Are you going to move back in there? And I was like, I kind of just stopped. And he goes, you don't live there anymore. And I remember stopping and going, fuck. And like, that made me cry. Like, you don't like that chapter of your life is over. 
And you start going back, realizing, like, how did I get here? Yeah. So was that the moment you probably felt like, wow, my life has actually changed? That's probably the moment when it came. Huge. Yeah. So so I think this is a perfect so to lead into my first point. Right. So you're sitting there asking yourself, how the hell did this happen to me? How did I get here? Okay. In that moment, first thing I always recommend to everybody is get a notebook or get the notes app on your phone or any application or something that's private. Okay. Don't leave this line around. Um, presumably, let's say you're not living in the house with spouse or with um, partner who's alleging DV. Okay. Still, you want this to be private regardless of where you are. Anything you write down, imagine that being found by somebody else, right? You wouldn't oh, want God. that. Keep it private. Keep it password protected. Another really um, just like uh, practical uh, piece of advice I could give is perhaps create a new email address. Um <laughs> The that, macaroni king baby <laughs> exactly perhaps create a new email address that you can use solely to correspond about your court case okay yeah. um and in that email you can also send notes to yourself right um the first thing i think you want to do and and mac we'll get into this because you're the best at this but the first thing mm-hmm. you want to do is write everything down now what are we writing down okay i always advise my clients that first we're going to come up with what's called the theory of the case okay mm-hmm. my mentor her name is Sue Moss. Shout out to Sue Moss, a phenomenal attorney in New York City, uh, matrimonial attorney. But she she taught me this. You come up with your theory of the case. And that is something that you may tweak over time. But largely you stick to that because it, it keeps you focused and centered on what your points are, what your cases, what your strengths are. When you say now, the theory of the case, is that essentially like your mission statement, like what you want out of it? Um, yes, it's your theory of the case is your narrative. It's your elevator pitch, essentially. Okay, so if you had the opportunity to have a judge in an elevator with you, okay, and it and it were appropriate to talk about your case to the judge, right? Mm -hmm. So I know you see a judge in the elevator in the courthouse and you're pro se, don't talk to the judge about your case. (laughs) But let's just say in a hypothetical. I feel like you're all speaking to my inside here. (laughs) Maybe wink, wink. Matt, Um, shut up. So um, in a hypothetical world, if you were able to, you know, tell the judge what your uh, case is about in in three to four sentences, the time it would take to, you know, be in an elevator together, um, you're basically going to tell the, the the judge your conclusion, how you like what your end result is. Right. I am not guilty of domestic violence, for example. That is your conclusion. Think about going back to like middle school, writing a narrative. Yeah. And my conclusion is I'm not guilty of domestic violence. Your thesis. Thank you. Your thesis and why. Okay. Now your thesis could be, um, for example, let's use your case, Mac. Your thesis could be next, my next, um, in an effort to divorce plan. Okay. Created um, her own narrative alleging abuse and domestic violence um, two times that didn't occur, right? And the evidence that I will present to you, Your Honor, will emphatically demonstrate that the DV alleged could not have taken place at the day and t- on the day and time that it was alleged. Therefore, <laughs> I am not guilty of domestic violence. Now, that sounds really straightforward mm-hmm. and really simple. And honestly... That's how I take your case. It is straightforward and simple because the best thing that you did, and I want you to speak to this, Mac, was at the beginning, not only did you write things down, but you created a mountain of evidence. And when I say created, let me take that back. Yeah. Okay. So I'm glad you stopped yourself there. Yeah. Brittany and I have a big thing and I always correct Brittany. I say, don't say we create evidence because that has a negative connotation to it. We organize our evidence. But go ahead. I had to I had to stop. No, thank you. And I think this is something we talked about at the beginning because I I use the phrase create evidence and I'm very I'm careful to say, well, I don't mean create. I mean, um, maybe construct, gather, formulate, formulate. Yeah, yeah. Why we make a great team. Formulate, formulate your evidence. OK, organize it. Know it. Learn. OK, what evidence am I going to use? What do you have to prove you didn't do what's being alleged? So we'll use domestic violence again as an example. Um, Mac, do you want to get into what we have a little bit in your case? Yeah, totally. So, okay. And I love the fact that you did that. And so I love, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this story, but I love episodes two, three, and four of this podcast. And the reason that I love them is because 
all that stuff was like me staring at a ceiling, kind of like recollecting in my brain all the events that led up to why I was starting the podcast in the first place. And so she alleged that I had strangled her while she was holding my daughter. Okay. What she didn't know is that I was recording. She she took two weeks to make uh, the claim to, to go to the police and get the restraining order. So there were 13 days of me recording all of the conversations that we had. There were text messages and pictures and ring camera doorbell footage to show where I was at the time she was alleging these things. So I haven't been able to, to give it to you guys as my listeners, my followers. But what I did and what I presented Brittany with, and this is, I mean, dare I say why you, why you support me so hard, is because what I did is I created a timeline. And the timeline is dated. So for example, it's 2021, the date, whether it's a picture, video, text, audio, the contents of what's there. And I formulated it in order of the exact time that next says that I choked her. And what this timeline shows is it's an outright bold lie. So to Brittany's point, what we're trying to tell you is everybody, it's 20, it's almost 2024 at this time. Your, your content of phones, text messages, videos, technology, all that kind of stuff Please get savvy and use that stuff to your advantage because it becomes this undeniable fact that I didn't do it. And when I gave that to Brittany, I mean, you we, we met at a cheesecake factory and you were like, I thought you were some weirdo from the Internet. And now I know. Holy shit. This is real life. He's got this. Yeah. So, so let me pipe in here because that's exactly true. So, I mean, listen, I support you because one, um, I know you didn't do it. Okay. Two, you came to me straight up and you were honest up front. This is the worst thing that, that you're going to hear about me. And everything that you said proved itself to be true and true again and true again. And then to really kick it off, this is where your evidence comes into play. You came to me with a, a ton of evidence to for this is not a criminal case, but to exonerate you, you know, your alibi, which was I was not even physically there at the home yeah. at the time that she says this happened. So when 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 Matt presented me with all this evidence, you know, my eyes light up. I mean, that's this is like it's like turns lawyers on to get evidence in this amazing format. And I just want to break it down a little bit for people to say to, so we can explain why it was so good. So one um, Mac mentioned there's a bunch of different format types of evidence, right? There's photographs, there's text messages, right? Text messages. If you ever get this, a text message from someone that you you think, oh, I can use this in court, always screenshot it, please. With oh, the date and the time. So I have an iPhone. I'm sorry, I don't know how other than iPhones work, but if you drag your finger to the left, you can see the time of when that text was sent. So dra I know it's tedious. I know it's monotonous. But drag your finger to the left and screenshot the time and the date that these text messages were sent. Yeah, that's very important. I'm glad you added that in because if you're going to use a screenshot of a text or a screenshot of an email um, in court at trial, you need to do you need to lay a foundation for that. OK, and that's just a fancy way of saying you need to be able to establish that the text message or the email or the photograph was taken on a certain date at a certain time and that it has not been substantially changed since the, the time that it was initially transmitted. Right. Okay? So um, it's huge to have, especially on text, you can't see the date and time unless you do what Mac was explaining. Um, so, so the point that I'm trying to make here is there's a bunch of different types of evidence. And so what's really important is to categorize your types of evidence by what what it is. So audio recordings. I had Mac go through his huge timeline, which was a mix of everything, and pull out just the audio recordings and we put them in one folder. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then we pulled out just the text messages or the screenshots of emails or um uh, messages in a co-parenting app, right? And we put all of those into one folder. Yeah. All right. Videos, we put those into one folder. Um, and then I think photos might have been separate into another folder. 
Okay. So you see what we're doing is we break it down by each, but by the type of evidence. And why do we do this? Do you know, Mac? I'm, I'm like on the fly quizzing you here. Why do we pull it out? Uh, Why do we categorize it by type? Well, rather than hypothesizing, why don't you just tell me? Sure, yeah. Okay. So why do we do that? We do that because when you present it at trial, okay, functionally, it you need to present your audio recordings in a different way than you're going to play your videos and in a different way than you're going to present your text messages. So I like to know, and it's for organizing organization purposes that so for organizational purposes, it's easier to pull from all of the audio recordings, the the recording that you need on September 15th, it's there instead of searching through thousands of other documents that you're you know, almost like creating your own library of sorts. Exactly. Like you're you're creating like almost like an encyclopedia of your case, of your trial. And it's it it's for us especially because literally, I mean, there's close to two hundred exhibits we could present. And it's almost like, where do you find these things? And like I said, with technology, the way it is these days is like you really can compile a lot of stuff. So compile your text, compile your audio recordings. I, you know, I've said this many times on this podcast. Please learn your recording laws in your state. I mean, we are in a one party state. Only one party needs to know that you're recording in New Jersey. Learn your recording laws. Learn your laws before you do this, because gaining that little bit of advantage, especially, God forbid, God fucking forbid you have bruises, you have bumps, you have pictures to present of true abuse and you recorded the whole thing. I mean, to me, I would think that's that is the smoking gun right there. Yeah. And so um, what I want to say about the recording laws, yes, in New Jersey, we're a one party state. Um, I don't know off the top of my head the recording laws in every state, but I can tell you California is a two party state. And I know that about listeners all over um, and I, you know, but I've, I've, I've dealt with this in California just a little bit, uh, consulting for a few people. And it's definitely a two-party state, and that changes things, okay? If you have questions about how to maneuver, how to handle a two-party state, reach out to Mac. Perhaps we can, you know, help you out there. But in a one-party state, you're part of the conversation. You can record it. It's that simple, okay? Now, I want to just touch on one thing here. Um, this is going to be a living, breathing encyclopedia this is going to be a living breathing thing so your your anthology of evidence is going to change over time especially with my next because she gives me so much fucking material it never ends (laughs) exactly exactly okay so after you break so after you you know basically write down your narrative or your theory of the case right then you're going to go through your evidence and you're going to categorize it into your different categories and you're going to then take an inventory of it organization and in preparation is 90% of this, honestly, what happens in the courtroom is really going to be led by the judge. You're going to be responsible for bringing your evidence of your case forward. And after that, you're going to be responsible for telling, you know, your side of the story. So going through your evidence and paring it down really helps you learn your case better and, and learn what you're actually going to present to the judge. Because everyone already knows Usually, you know what the other side is going to say. You have an idea. So you can present, you can prepare for, well, what's my defense to that? Or what am I going to present to prove to the judge? Actually, that's a complete lie. It's the opposite. Well, not only that, but like you and I enjoyed so much during trial of, you know, like you, you just said they know everything that's that we know everything that she's going to say. And we didn't know everything, but we loved the fact that she was getting it all out, all this verbal diarrhea, because we're like, okay. I got that alibi. I got that alibi. Get it all out on the record now next, because when the truth comes out with fucking evidence, you're not going to look great. Yeah. So I think this is a good point. This is a good opportunity to point out that, you know, how you prepare for these cases. I'm going to use domestic violence cases as an example. Again, um, it depends whether you're plaintiff or defendant. Right. So plaintiff and defendant have different roles and different obligations in these cases. So in a domestic violence case, the plaintiff is the person who is bringing the claim, who's saying this, who's who's saying someone committed an act of domestic violence against me. That's the plaintiff. So in your case, Mac, next, the next is the plaintiff and you are the defendant. The The burden of proof is on the plaintiff, is it not? Correct. Correct. So defendant is the person being accused. Right. Plaintiff is bringing the case. Therefore, in court, the burden of proof, meaning who has to prove that something happened? The plaintiff. The plaintiff has to prove that an act of domestic violence happened. Um, 
by a preponderance of the evidence, which means it's more likely than not. So when you break it down to percentage wise, um, the plaintiff has to convince the judge, there's no jury here, it's a bench trial, that um, it is 51% likely that the defendant committed an act of domestic violence as defined under the law. So notice, as Mac was pointing out, it does not mean that the defendant has the obligation to prove domestic violence did not happen. Yeah. Obviously a part of your defense, right? You know what's so great? Not only did the next not do a great job of, you know, anecdotally, not only did she not do a great job of proving it, but like, I could, I should be the plaintiff because I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it didn't. Right. But think about this. Yeah, and I don't want to direct. How can we be the plaintiff who's coming to court saying this didn't happen? But yeah, here, here's the thing. So, well, it's interesting because in your case, you actually do have evidence of, of abuse against you. Right. Right. Um, and... You know, just to speak quickly, you said she didn't do a great job of, of, of presenting evidence. Now, why is that? What did she fail to really present? Um, she, well, it's what she did present. All she really presented was audio recordings of arguments. And you know what sticks out in my mind? Actually, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, you know what? I'm, gonna... I'm not going to say that. Yep, yep. And you know what? I'm not going to edit that part out that you're not going to say. I'm not going to edit it out either. Let's, let's keep going. Go ahead. All right. So, um... Because you and I both know. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. Um, all right. So, all right. So, after you come up with your theory of the case, right? You go through your evidence, you categorize your evidence, go back to your theory of the case, see if that changes at all, see if you need to tweak it. Okay. Now, the next thing we have to talk about when it comes to preparing for your case is witnesses. Mm. This is huge. Witnesses. Yeah. Okay. So plaintiff goes to the court to get a restraining order. Plaintiff is going without you there initially. Okay. This is called ex parte, meaning they get to talk to the judge without you there as the defendant. And they get to tell their side of the story. The judge in that scenario takes what the plaintiff says as true facts because they're under oath. And we're supposed to tell the truth under oath. Yeah, uh, right. So they take it as fact. So the idea is assuming that what plaintiff says is true, is this enough to get a temporary restraining order? Now, in Mac's case, the answer was yes, according to that judge, whether I agree with it or not. In a lot of cases, the judge do the judges will give temporary restraining orders to be safe rather than sorry, I guess. But again, that's a whole other system that's a little messed up. But in so, my experience, the more inflammatory the allegations are, the worse it is. But we don't need to go down that fucking road. So, so basically, when you get to court for the first time, what has the judge heard so far? Only plaintiff side of the story. Really, it's the police report that they have, you know, or the the statement of the TRO. Exactly. So the complaint is what we call that. Um, what the plaintiff told the police happened, essentially. Yeah. Right? So that's all that the judge has. When you get to trial, who speaks first? Plaintiff. Plaintiff goes first. So because it's plaintiff's burden, they put their case on first. So they call their witnesses and everything. So by the time it's your turn to speak your side of the story in the case, the judge has already heard all this stuff about how you're a terrible person. You're an alleged batterer, right? right. You're a POS, all this stuff. And what do you need to do? You need to come to the court presenting evidence to contradict that. Now, of course, you can, you can of course, get up there and testify yourself and hope that your credibility shines through to the judge um, because the judge does observe your credibility, your mannerisms uh body language your tone of voice your eye contact but is it really enough if you're just sitting up there saying believe me i'm credible i'm glad you pulled that back because i was going to say what better than to have somebody speak to your character or the actual witness of what they observe yeah so so in 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 your case right um character witnesses i think are important Mm -hmm. um if there were witnesses of the actual um, alleged events, you know, you would want to call those witnesses if you had somebody in your favor who was going to, um, you know, testify what they did or they didn't see. And I say you, not you math, but you general people. Um, having a character witness, somebody in your family, um, if there's if, if the other side is raising questions that are tangential to the DV, for example, about parenting ability. To OK, parent. so I'm glad you just said that. Good. Mm -hmm. So. Without divulging too much of our strategy, I have several witnesses that are available. I have witnesses who knew 
and were communicating with me at the time of the events of the alleged DV. That's one. I have character witnesses that, you know, know me outside, whatever, X, Y, Z. And then I also have people who, you know, she alleged that I was uh, of detriment to the children. And I have people who have observed me with the children, um, including DCPMP workers and, you know, people who observed me when I had to have uh, a supervised visitation. I have people from DCPMP there. So I'm, I've covered all my bases. So this is what Brittany and I are saying is that, you know, it doesn't just have to be witnesses who were there at the time of the alleged DV or whatever you're on trial for, but it could also be people who could speak to your character and speak to what they have observed in terms of the relationship between you and your next, right? Yes, precisely. I, I couldn't have said it better. So I think that pretty much wraps up the witness the witness category of it. And, and I think the last thing I'll finish on the witnesses is this. You want to be careful not to present too many witnesses who are going to say the same thing. Right. Okay. If you have, if you want to bring a character witness in to speak to your parenting, one to two max, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to want to choose your strongest witnesses. Um, we don't need three people up there saying the same thing because the judge, remember, their time is precious and the judge will get it after the first point is being made, right? I think, I think the witnesses you should have are the ones who will corroborate your theory of the case, right? So my theory of the case is I'm a good parent. Here's somebody who's going to come in and tell you I'm a good parent who's observed me with the kids. I'm going to have somebody who comes in and says, oh, well, she alleges that I strangled her at this time. Well, here's the person who's going to come in and say, I was with that person at that time. You know, so like you could have all the people who corroborate your theory of the case. And I think that is, in my opinion, gold. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's, I love that you brought it back to the theory of the case, Mac. I really do. Um, that was that. That's perfect because the theory of the case truly does drive everything that we're doing. Okay, so why don't I turn it over to you? Because I've got, I've got some more stuff that I want to talk about. But at this point, I think we've gone through the first steps of how to sort of start your evidence collection. Now, I want to take you back to to when you were formulating your evidence. How did where where did you get like? How did you know what to do? You know, it was funny. So obviously when we all get out of those relationships, we are mess and we're not sleeping and we're crying. And a lot of us, I know I was, I was on the phone with friends until three, four, five o'clock in the morning. And I'll never forget my dad. I was living in my dad's basement and I was just hysterical. And I remember my dad gave me this very Adrian to Rocky speech. And it was probably 1130 at night. And he's like, get her like it was like uh, it was like you got to sink this bitch and I remember going and I stayed up for 24 hours didn't sleep that night and that's when I created that timeline and I remember he walked downstairs the next morning to go use the bathroom or something and I said go pee and when you're done come back and sit down with me and I showed him the timeline and I said is this what you're looking for and he kind of like you know my dad's an old school dude he patted me on the back and he goes fuck yeah that's what I'm looking for you know what I mean? And it was very like, you know, in, in Rocky, when Adrian goes, do one thing for me, win. And it was this very like sort of Rocky two speech that my dad gave me. And it was like, OK, this is this is it. Right. Like we don't fucking talk about anything else. We talk about this exact day at the exact time. And I can show prove where I was. She's not there. And that was it. I remember kind of like throwing my hands up in the air, walking around like I was hot shit. Like, look at what I just fucking created, you know? Well, and, and you're right, because flash forward to, you know, meeting me and flash forward to now. And that um, compilation of evidence is what we are like still using. I mean, that is why I go into court feeling so confident every time yeah. because of that. Now, I want to address something. What happens if you're listening to this episode and you're sitting here saying, Brit, Matt, I don't have any video. I don't have any recordings. I don't have any photos. You I don't, do. I don't do. have any witnesses. Okay. Speak to that. Yeah. No, you do. And this is what I'm saying. Like I said, we're in 2023. It's almost 2024. Um, there's something like, let's say hypothetically, right? Let's say they said you were abusing them and you weren't even home. Let's say you went out to dinner at that time and you had a receipt for where you were. Let's say you bought gas. Let's say you had credit card statements. Let's say you had phone records. Let's wow. say 
there's something there's something i promise you in this in this day and age it sounds so old saying that in this day and age you're younger than i am in this day and age though um even your google maps application will tell you historical places that you've been yes reach out to me or Brittany. that is a great point and i thought about it um when when i was saying it that's a great point if you use your google chrome browser it <laughs> intrusively has your intrusively has your whereabouts uh tracked so we can help you we can help yeah. you with this stuff something that i want to start doing is actually offering um services to help people you know um prepare evidence and this is something honestly i would do it on a pro bono basis it's fun um yeah and i think helping oh in people- my opinion it's the most fun thing about trial so please reach reach out to mac mac can put you in touch with me if you want my help if you want Mac's help but but this is this is really the cornerstone of your case. I yes. mean, we should develop a course on this. Yeah, like irrefutable evidence. But um, so we talked about witnesses. We talked about evidence. Where do we go from there? I think from here, what we should do is go into courtroom decorum, your favorite topic. We <laughs> all should see Brittany right now. She just like leans into the camera. Let's talk about courtroom decorum because fuck Mac. I'm the only client in the history of Britney's practice who's ever gotten kicked out of the courtroom for laughing at something stupid the next said. If you guys don't remember, the judge asked my next something and she she got all tongue twisted and I'm just hyper aware of her gaslighting. And the the judge was confused and he goes, wait, so what? And he goes, so you were wrong or something? And the next goes, correct, I was incorrect. And I sat at the table and I go, like I couldn't hold it back. And the, the judge kicked me out of the courtroom. He admonished me, which Brittany taught me that term. And uh, he let me back in. But courtroom decorum is, it's tough. And the other thing is, is like you and I, you and I agree that, okay, so, and I don't think this is a problem and I can always edit this out if you don't want me to talk about it. But there's police officers within the courtroom. And there's one police officer who consistently tells me that I'm not allowed to look at the next while she's testifying. And like, all I'm doing is listening to what I'm on trial for. I don't know why I can't look at her, but they're always saying, look away, look away. This one, this one police officer, but let's talk about courtroom decor. Yeah. Let me, let me speak to that because I actually, I, I not addressing this court officer personally, but I do take a bit of an issue with the the telling defendant that they can't look at the plaintiff while the plaintiff is testifying, specifically just as as your attorney, right? I don't know your next the way you know your next. Yeah. So when your next is testifying or cro- giving answers on cross-examination, I think it's personally important for you to be able to look at her, to pick up on body language, to to see, you know, um, any change just on her face. I mean, I'm looking at my witness always, right? So, um, you know, I took I take a little bit of an issue with that, but I understand the point behind it. So what I will say is this, you're doing it's like an intimidation thing or something. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to get to. I think it's an intimidation thing. So if you're a defendant, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at the plaintiff, but you might not want to drill your eyes into them and, and just stare at them and not take your eyes off, right? Like a, a constant gaze when you could just casually look other places, you know, it's if, it, if it's menacing, if it feels menacing or it's supposed to distract the witness, that's when I think it becomes a problem. Yeah, you know, it's funny. And I know this is a very polarizing subject, but I did run a poll on one of my episodes and it showed that most people are in agreement with me. But I think the Johnny Depp thing is a good example of how to, you know, uh, how to operate within the courtroom because I think he was relatively stoic, uh, you know, I mean, given the circumstances. And, uh, you know, it was funny because I remember a year ago now at this point when we did the motion for the Christmas thing, you said on that episode, you said I was very stoic. And then I remember I inserted a thing into the episode of me getting off the phone and going, yes, yes. And you're like, it's it's hard, especially when you hear something so stupid out of the next's mouth, like, correct, I was incorrect. And you're you're already aware of this gaslighting. By the way, there's a shirt on the Dimming the Gaslight merch store that says, correct, I was incorrect, hyphen, a narcissist. Uh, pick it up at the Dimming the Gaslight merch store. But yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard for that courtroom decorum because you're already, you, you want so badly for the judge to see what you already know. And when they go and they 
show a little crack in their armor and that crack starts to run a little bit. You sit there and you go like, dude, you just made a fool out of yourself. Like, correct. I was incorrect. What a fucking gaslighting statement that is. So I think that this is a great opportunity for me to point something out that as a litigant, you're emotional in the courtroom, right? That's why it's harder for you to sort of curb curb those emotions and keep them, you know, maybe as stoic um, as you would want them to. But trust in this, okay? When a litigant gets up there and says something redonkulous, like, correct, <laughs> I was incorrect. The judge knows how stupid it sounds without you reacting, right? That's the kind of thing. And listen, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't give a little chuckle too. Thing is, the judge didn't yell at me. <laughs> so just know this. As a litigant, self-represented or not, whether you got an attorney or not, you are under the microscope in that courtroom. Okay? Act like a human being. Act normal. If the judge cracks a joke, laugh. Right? Probably just... Now I'm afraid to. Well, but probably just try not to laugh at anything that the next says up on the stand or the other litigant says, right, um, up on the stand. Just don't react to anything they say, you know, like you can react maybe to the judge, but don't react to the opposition. That's a good advice. That's good advice. I like that. So go back to my mentor. She gave me uh, the first time I was ever in court. I second chaired with her and um, she knew that the testimony was about to come out that our client had sexually assaulted a child. And I didn't know this. And I had been working with her on this case and this client for a while. And so she leaned down and wrote on a notepad, don't react to what happens next. And it was my first experience with hearing something that was shocking to me because because I hadn't heard it and I knew this client um, and and having to remain, you know, completely um, like, like ice, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a good lesson, just don't react. Um, because any reaction could get you in trouble more than it's going to do you any good. Well, so after the after the judge admonished me, I wasn't there, but I read the court transcripts and, and the judge said something along the lines of um, my behavior it kind of coincides with some of the audio recordings that he had heard of me screaming my head off. And he was like, you know, kind of coincides with that. So let's see if more of this continues. Like that was sort of his predisposition and um completely understand where that comes from but he's gonna learn that's not indicative of my behavior and it was a weak moment and i apologize to the court but it is what it is and it happened and and you know what and that and that's a good uh lesson too is that if something like that happens to you don't let it get in your head all right apologize to the judge once you don't need to profusely apologize you don't need to make a point at the end of the court date to go up and apologize again you don't need to write a letter just be normal i'm sorry your honor you know you leave if they tell you to leave you come back when they tell you to come back and then you keep it tight all right and well it was actually his reaction to it was actually his reaction to correct i was incorrect because he's like correct who's incorrect i don't even know what that means <laughs> i know fuck anyway Okay, so so now that we have, you know, down not to be an asshole in the courtroom, <laughs> um, I think this is a topic that that is worth talking about. Um, communicating with an attorney on the other side. Oh, you are a pro se. Okay. Um, now, why did you just make that face? Why did you make that? Oh, okay. Because there's so many of us out there and I see it so many times on Instagram and stuff. And it's like, it's well known that a narcissist hires like essentially a pit bull to to represent them and that's fine i mean you're sort of a pit bull of yourself you know what i mean but like these people are the people that the next is higher are just as unreasonable as they are so communicating with them probably goes hand in hand with the same way of like operating within courtroom decor of like keep it factual keep it unemotional it's sort of like you know i had early on i had um her name is katie gillis and she's an lcsw uh who did a did an interview and she called it neb necessary emotionless and brief necessary emotionless and brief and that's how you should keep your conversations because i already know i mean i was pro se for a little while and communicating with my nexus representation was a fucking drag man you know i really think we've taken that neb approach um to our communication hell no I don't know. We did for a while and then we got admonished for not really communicating. So we had to start communicating and that's when I got emotional about it. That's the thing that just like the just like the next the the representation loves to provoke 
and then play victim when we don't just bow to their demands. Well, okay, so let's so let's get back to if you're a pro se, right? And um, so you're representing yourself, pro se. We probably should have explained this at the beginning of the episode. It's a Latin uh, Latin phrase for representing yourself. Okay, if it's for, for oneself, um, pro se. It's written in italics and it's two words. Um, okay, so you're pro se and. Um, necessarily, you might have to talk with the opposing counsel about scheduling changes, about um, perhaps they want to they want to drop the restraining order if it's a DV case and they want to enter into a settlement called the civil restraints. Those are the, um, the t- certain types of things you would be discussing with the other attorney. Basically, if you had a lawyer and that lawyer needed to talk to the other lawyer about something, insert yourself. If you're representing yourself, you're able to have those conversations. Now, a couple important things. One, as a pro se litigant, you are not forced to talk to the opposing counsel. Okay. If you feel uncomfortable in those conversations, you don't have to have them because you're not. You hear that, Nex? Okay. He tells me all the time I don't fucking respond. Well, I guess I don't have to. That's cool. With the opposing counsel. Okay, good. No, I understand. You're next because you got a co-parent still. Yeah, right? yeah, you know. Well, you counsel, if you don't want to have a conversation about a settlement, you don't have to because you may feel like it's it's one-sided without you having a, a, represent, a representative there. Okay, uh, I understand. So you always have a choice to do that. But let's say you are going to have these conversations, okay? You're totally allowed to. Now, if you're represented by a lawyer, you're not allowed to speak to the other attorney. So that's a key difference. Right. If you represent yourself, you are your own lawyer. You can have conversations with the other attorney. Once you have an attorney of your own, your lawyer must have the conversations with the other attorney. Okay. So, so this is, I think, what's going to be most prevalent on on the people who's listening to this is mine. What What do you do when the other attorney, your pro se, the other attorney wants to play in the mud and provoke you and send sort of like you know inflammatory accusations to you through email or phone calls or whatever because they're going to do that they're going to play in the mud so like do you have any advice for that yeah absolutely i think first we can just go back to what you just said before um the lcsw that you um interviewed the neb mm-hmm. it's necessary emotionless and brief don't tell so, don't take the bait exactly what i do think is important though is to respond in writing if you're getting a letter or email correspondence from an opposing counsel making allegations or accusations that are not factual, that paints you in a, in a poor light, um, that stretch the truth, be sure to respond. So when I say don't take the bait, I don't mean ignore it. I mean respond, setting the record straight without going after the opposing counsel. So let's say... You, you, Go ahead. Yeah, I want to give an example because um, you and I are both uh, fans of J- Judge Anthony Bompiani. We both did his little class, his slideshow thing. And uh, he advises people to say, you know, that's not true. And just leave it kind of at that. I was just going to say that. Honestly, I was just going to say, you know, let's say that it says. um, Let's just say there's allegations that on your parenting time, which has nothing to do with domestic violence. Okay, so already we're out of we're out of line with the topic. Let's say there's allegations that during your parenting time with the kids, um, the kids don't have proper clothing. um, Maybe they're they're not washed or they're not fed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we all know that's not true. Well, what are you going to respond? Not going to respond something like, how dare you accuse me of that? Um, You're, you know, a terrible attorney. No, no, of course not. You're going to respond with, um, you know, with respect to your accusations concerning X, Y, and Z, comma, um, they are, you know, wholly false. They are wholly inaccurate. They're patently false. They're absolutely inaccurate i mean you could, yeah, you, judge judge bompiani says to write you know that's not true it was funny like and i think you and i had this conversation a while ago it's like remember like twitter back in the day or now it's called x or whatever but like back in the day when when twitter started it's like 140 characters or less like i kind of feel like that's how your communication should be with your next or their attorney or whatever like keeping it brief and like you like to your point you don't have to sit there and stress the whole time like that didn't happen i did feed them here's what they eat blah 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 just, you know, that's not true. And again, going back to it's almost 2024. I mean, I'm super guilty of like 
you know, anything my kids do now, I take pictures. So if we're out to dinner, snap a quick picture of them eating. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, here's them with their jackets on. And I know it's like, fuck, we, do we really have, I can't believe I, this is how I have to operate. But unfortunately, it is. You know, I, I have to say, this is a conversation you and I have had a bunch, right, about the yeah. recording of um, the children and the documenting of the children. And I've changed my tune to it. I don't think you and I have had this conversation, oh, um, but I really have changed my tune to it because uh, as long as, you know, I used I used to give Mac the, the constructive criticism of less is more when it comes to the documenting the children. Yeah. Um, my tune has changed though, because I've seen the judge actually look at your evidence, yeah. look at the videos we present, and that was a real determining factor in the judge's opinion on, yeah. you know, your children and how they feel around you. And it, it was a positive outcome for you. And and that was, you know, that right there um, was a lesson for me in that as long as these recordings are done in a way that your kids don't feel like they're constantly being recorded, right? it's okay. Because you would have no other way of showing, no other way of showing how your kids feel about you. And yeah. and it's true. If you're if if you're out to dinner, snap a photo. One, you want these memories. Yeah. You want Look at you with your happy meal, click. They're not being in, they're not being interrogated. To to Brittany's point. So, you know, in the beginning of the summer of twenty twenty three, we had an argument through emotion that my next wanted to take the kids on vacation and I had bought tickets to a Matchbox twenty concert. And the Nexus representation within the motion said Oh, it's an old band. The kids don't care about this. So when I did win the fact that I could take them to the, the concert, obviously, you know, it's my favorite band. So I recorded us and my little four and seven year old at the time know every goddamn word to Matchbox 20 because I play it in the car. And the judge saw that and she goes, you know, at our last court appearance, she goes, listen, I watched those videos. And I think she said something like my heart breaks for these kids because no, they, and that's the thing is the Nexus attorney and the Nex are trying to shut me down from recording and videoing and all this kind of stuff. Because if they, if they achieve that, then what do I have? Then she could just act like a fool and I have no documentation for it. Now, why do you think they're trying to shut you down from recording and everything? What, just, all, what's your evidence? But what, but your evidence for the other case for is your, my word versus hers. It's your word versus hers, but. But now that we've exchanged our evidence and given over to them what we have, they know you've got the recordings, you've yep. got the videos, so they know where your area of expertise is. Yep. That's why they want to shut that down 100%. Yeah, and, and you know, First Amendment right, I'm not, it's freedom of speech, freedom of press, I'm not shutting down shit. Um, now, on this, I think it's really important that we, that we emphasize one thing. We are not saying to click record on your phone Point it at your kids and ask them questions about the other parent. Ever. Yes. Yes. They are not saying to ever talk to your kids about the judge or about the court case. Never. Okay? That is not. Those are words that should not be in their vernacular, their vocabulary at all, because you don't want your kids going and running back to the. First of all, you don't want your kids knowing about what's going on in court. It's not appropriate, it's not. obviously. Right. But two, your kids are going to run back and say something to the other parent about what you heard, all right? And then that's going to be brought to the judge and and the judge is not going to like it. So it's one thing to record your kids living their lives, being happy, saying what they say. Um, but it's, and those videos certainly can and I think should be used. But videos, if you're putting your kids on the spot, no, absolutely right. not. I completely wholeheartedly agree. And that's something you do a good job of, Mac. You really Thank do. Thank you. I'm glad you've changed your tune. So yeah. And you fought hard on that for with me. You did. And and this is another point. As someone being, this is, doesn't speak to being self-represented, but it does speak to being your own best advocate. Okay? Push back on your attorney. If your attorney, Max laughing, because he does it and he does it well. But I also encourage it and invite it because it makes our arguments better. It makes our case stronger. I learned the case like even better than I, I know it already. Um, but push back on your attorney. If you believe something is important, stand up for it. Yeah. That's what, that's really what we're here saying is you are, you are the only person who can be the best advocate. Only, you know, your life the way you know it. Yep. I've already convinced that it better. 
Okay. Um, I think the last thing, because I know we're probably getting to the end of the hour, the last thing I think is important to bring up, and this is certainly not the final um, point on this, but I think for now, um, it's it's relevant, but I think it's useful if pro se litigants learn a little bit um, of the rules of evidence, um, specifically the objections, some common objections you might Yeah, I watch, I watch YouTube videos. When I was pro se, I was watching YouTube videos of common objections. Maybe you could throw out like three or five, three to five like common objections that pro se litigants can use um, within the courtroom that like are commonly used. Can you do that? Sure, absolutely. Um, first, well, first I just want to say it's a great idea that you watch YouTube videos. And for anybody who is wondering how to, you know, approach their pro se case, I would recommend watching the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. Camille Vasquez, uh, Johnny Depp's attorney, is amazing. Oh, beast in my heart. I'm amazing, yeah. Um, Mac, Mac got me hooked on that. Um, so first, first objection I would say is relevant. That's pr- pretty much the most basic one. All right. If um, someone is testifying at trial about something, let's say it's a DV trial and they're testifying about um, your parenting style. OK, well, that's not relevant to domestic violence. Relevant. Objection. When you say the objection, you have to say objection and then you have to say your reason for objecting afterwards. All right. You're, typically, actually, you say objection. The judge will look at you and say on what basis right? If you forget to add it, but you want to say objection, relevance. Parenting has nothing to do with domestic violence. The judge will then either sustain the objection, meaning agree with you, or overrule the objection, meaning, yeah, no, that's bullshit. Go ahead. And they'll let the, the witness answer the question anyways. Okay. So that's relevance. And, and honestly, evidence at trial only should be coming in if it's relevant and probative. We won't get it. Probative means likely to tick the um, the like likely to tip the scale one way or another. So it can be relevant, but it might, might not be really meaningful. Okay? okay. Next one is hearsay. That's a huge one. Okay. Hearsay. How do I explain this um, in layman's term? Oh, so then Johnny said, and you go, objection, Johnny's not here to say what Johnny Exactly. Said. Okay, so a person who is making a statement um, to the court needs to be in the courtroom to make that statement. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, however, one big exception is if, it's, if, if you want to get up there, Mac, and testify about what the next said, you can say, next said this, and the next can testify about what you said. And that's not hearsay. It's an exception to hearsay because you're both litigants in the case. Yep. Okay. So that's an exception. But hearsay, um, anytime someone says this third party who is not in the courtroom says, that's hearsay. Wonderful. All right. Um, another one is going to be asked and answered. Okay. So what that means is uh, someone asks, let's say there's a cross-examination question. Okay. And you ask it once and the person answers no. And the lawyer doesn't like the the question that they're getting or the answer that they're getting. So they formulate the question maybe in a few different words and they ask it again. Okay. Now, maybe you don't pick up on it this time because it sounds a little different. But the third time you pick up on it, you say objection, ask and answer. They ask the same question three times in a row. They got their answer ready. Yeah. Move on. Right. Okay. Um, uh, another one is foundation. We talked about this a little bit before. You introduce a text message. You introduce a photo. We'll use photo as example. Okay. You have to lay a foundation for it, meaning you have to establish that what's in the photo existed in real life um, and at the time that the photo was taken. Typically, you're not going to testify to the foundation of a photo unless you took that photo. Okay. So, no. go ahead. Well, so then there's one more objection that you use that impacted my case. What was that objection? Okay, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, this was right at the beginning of the trial, um, my first day that I was there. And we objected on the basis of the order of the witnesses um, being out of order. So what that means is um, Nex's attorney got up. So your trial started day one. There was police officers who testified I wasn't there. Day two of your trial was my first day there, which was the Nex's time to get on the stand. So... That's what we were expecting. Next is attorney got up there and said, Your Honor, just very casually, oh, I'd like to call uh, my first witness out of order 
Um, and it was going to be an, a witness from the 9-15 um, football practice event. Okay. And I immediately stood up and objected to that on the basis that it would be an unfair advantage for the next, for the plaintiff, to hear what her own witness was going to say about the predicate act of domestic violence and that it would give her the advantage of hearing what she was going to say and then the next would just copy her own testimony to match what the witness said. And beyond that, the next's attorney had not presented a reason why this witness needed to be called out of order. A reason could be a work obligation that might have prevented um, her from being there any other day or a health, uh, uh, you know, a medical condition or something. But they had not presented any real reason. So I objected to this, stated my objections, just how I explained them here to you pretty much. And what did the judge do next? Oh, well, so the judge sustained that. And I didn't understand what the fuck just happened. So Brittany stands up and objects and she sits back down and I looked at her and she was pumped. She was like pumping her fist like, yes. And I look at Brittany and I go like, what the fuck just happened? And she just wrote in a notebook and slid it over to me. She goes, out of order means like she just explained. If if the witness comes in first, then all the next has to do is corroborate that story rather than the witness corroborating the nexus story. And I looked at it, I was like, what a way to set the tone for the trial five minutes in. Holy shit. And like, I was so pumped about that. We both walked out of there like, that was one of the highlights of the day. I mean, of the trial. Yeah, of the trial even, because you know what? Um, I think the reason they wanted to do that, I'm just like hypothesizing here, is that the next was nervous to testify, I think. Because she looked really shaken um, when the judge sustained the objection. So I think yeah. they were trying to get her um, like eased into it. And, and and the truth is the judge found the judge did agree that it would give next an unfair advantage. It does. Um, it does. And, and that's why the judge sustained it. So that I think the piece to wrap up there then on is this. Always be listening. Always be on your toes. OK. Object to something rather than being afraid to object to it stand up say you're, do you know how many times i object to things i don't even have a basis if <laughs> i come up with it as i'm standing up to make the objection or i come up with it when the judge asks but it doesn't feel right the question i don't like it so i have to do something yeah you can do that too as uh representing yourself you know mm-hmm. don't lose it at every question but but definitely if something doesn't feel right or you want to stop a line of questioning throw it up there hey you make they get it yeah what's the worst could happen you know at least i mean i told Brittany, i was like let's just object to shit because the worst thing that could happen is the judge says overruled and next thing you know is they just keep going but you'll never know if you don't try she exactly and i will say this as a pro se litigant if you're at trial and you're um you know listening to direct examination questions from an attorney on the other side and, and you're starting, or you have one of your witnesses. Let's let's use this example. You're representing yourself and you have a witness up there. That's a witness for your case. The other attorney though, on the other side is cross-examining them. Now, this is an opportunity where attorneys can, you know, quote unquote, beat up on a witness. Well, how do you really mess with that attorney's mojo and their flow? You object to things. Object, put them, because you put them on their toes then because they have to defend their question. So you can mess with their flow a little bit by objecting. And again, don't use it every question, but use it sparingly. And you're going to start to see if you're getting and you're ruffling their feathers. You know, and this is a good point to make, I think, is that you've taught me that the questions, especially when you're cross-examining somebody, those questions have to apply to what the person already testified to on direct yeah on direct yeah mm-hmm. so on cross-examination you can't ask a question that's not related back to testimony that's already been given by that witness um yep and i mean i think we could we could spend a whole other episode i think on how to craft direct examination questions and how to craft cross questions because that there's an art form in and of itself I don't know. Maybe we'll see if people are if people enjoy this episode, if they want to hear more of that. All right. Well, like you said, I mean, we're coming to the end of the hour. So, you know, let's say whether they come to you or this is just in their own head, but they're saying, Brittany, I can't afford a lawyer. I don't think I can do this. 
How do you convince somebody, listen, you can do it. You are your own best self-advocate. How do you go and tell somebody, listen, man, believe in yourself because you know your story, you know your evidence, you know your case. How do you talk some will into people? Yeah, I mean, listen, um, it's it's a case-by-case basis. But what I, what I will say generally to everyone is this. Mac just said it best. You know your case. You, listen, no lawyer is going to be able to walk into your life and and pick your case up without your help. You Just the way you would explain it to me if I was your attorney or anybody else, that's how you're going to explain it to yourself. Sit yourself down, okay, and say, if I was a stranger, what would I need to know to know my case? Write it down. I cannot emphasize that enough. When you have pen to paper, you're going to see, you're going to look and go, well, I do actually know. I have something here. Put pen to paper. If it lives in your head, you're going to suffer with imposter syndrome. Write it down. And invest in your support system. Know that know where your friends are, right? If they're not blood related and they're mutual friends, maybe don't trust them, okay? Maybe don't trust them. But use your support system. Get a second set of ears and eyes on, on what you're doing. If you can convince a third party friend, relative. Somebody who's been through it before. There you go. I mean, like I said, um, you can't afford an attorney, but you want to do a evidence strategy section reach out to us. This is something that, you know, I would love to help more people do this because it, it helps lawyers when you bring your case, whether you're going to be pro se or not, you bring your case to a lawyer like Mac did with his evidence in the state that he had it in. I mean, do you know how many hours, I mean, 50 hours you probably cut off of our, of our time together by doing that. And it gets, the lawyer is excited because yeah. now you have something to work with that it would be painstaking for me to create that. I couldn't have created that. Only you can. So you know what I would say to people is, listen, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable. Oh, sure. You're uncomfortable putting your case forward. Well, put your put like, let's get a helmet and let's toughen up a bit because it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough go for you in the courtroom. Uh, you know, most of my listeners are very educated, smart people, and and you know, I'll just make this analogy that like. You know, we were all in school at one time. And we all had to take a test, right? And you're prepping for that test. And you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, I studied. I know my case. I know the ins and outs. If you can prepare yourself, like we said, like watching YouTube videos or talking to people who have done it before, there's all these little ways of, you want to walk into that, into that test knowing, listen, I'm going to put it all on the table and I'm going to walk away. I'm gonna, I'm going all in and I'm going to walk away knowing that I put everything into this. And for me, this is my future. These are my kids. This is my reputation. And so help me God. I'm not walking out having not turned over every single stone. Yeah, I mean, not even that. It's your livelihood, right? Yeah. It's your livelihood. A lot of jobs are affected by having a final restraining order entered against you. So um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And... Listen, when it comes down to it, everyone has the the motivation of self-preservation, right? So when you're put under the pressure and put under the gun to defend yourself and to, to maintain your livelihood, I'm saying you, plural, everyone who's listening, trust that you're going to rise to the occasion. Trust. I and mean, listen, Matt didn't have any experience in this before before he started. And I would say he's like you know, one of my star uh Student, <laughs> seriously, my star student. I, I think I'm the that your son to your Mr. Miyagi. Exactly. <laughs> no, but it's true, and 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 I've seen you become more confident in your case as we've worked together. It's because yeah. like you've been reassured, like my instincts are right here. Yeah, you know, and yeah, and totally, and that's what it takes sometimes is just having someone else say, "I see what you see, I hear what you hear," to yeah. to really um, solidify that, and 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 you know what. If you have the truth on your side and you know that, you have nothing to be afraid of. You should walk into that room with so much confidence if you have the truth on your side. Trust that the truth will come out. You can't, you, okay, you can't just throw your hands up and trust, but trust if you put the work in and you do, you know, you take the steps that we said that you are going to get the truth to come through. That's a good start. That's a good spot to end. Yeah. She just did the mic drop on, uh, on, on, on the screen. Thank you so much for doing this. I think this really does empower people to know that, listen, maybe you can't afford a lawyer, but you can educate yourself to the point where you can go into a courtroom confidently knowing that 
the best outcome is within the realm of possibilities. Absolutely. So what is, uh, if people want to reach out to you, how can they, how can they reach out to you? Okay. So this is something I just decided on the fly guys. Um, I really would like to help people do this, uh, on a, on a pro bono basis. Yeah. I actually just said that. (laughs) I would like to help people do this. So if you have questions about, um, evidence preparation or, um, beginning stages of your case, you know, I would, I would be absolutely willing to, um, take emails from people and schedule calls. Um, you could email me at uh, Parisi, P-A-R-I-S-I dot Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y at gmail.com. Um, okay. Shoot me an email, put in the subject DTG so I know where you're coming from. And then, um, yeah, I'd definitely be happy to reach back out and help as many people as we can. Yeah, that's the whole point. Thanks well, for having thank me on, so much. What's that? I said, thanks for having me on, Mac. I really appreciate it. This is a fun one. I always love when you're on. I mean, it always, every time you're on, it keeps getting better and better. So um, I'm sure this episode will be well received and we can do follow up episodes and, you know, other arts. of. I've told Brittany, I was like, you should start your own podcast. I should be the Oprah to your Dr. Phil and spin off and start your own podcast because I think you have a wealth of knowledge that other people can really benefit from. Thank you. No. And you know what? I think I might just do that. You've actually inspired me. Um, I got to say, though, uh, you are a different breed of client. I just have to tell you. And I wish I think I've said this to you before. I wish you could teach all the clients how to be good, like how to be good clients. Um, I just have to say, you know, you've done a lot of hard work and you set the foundation for this episode by what you did. We're really just teaching people kind of how to do it the way you did it. So yeah. thank you for that because you made my job a lot easier. And I have to say, we have fun. Even though this the, the subject of the case isn't fun, we find a way to have fun and it makes it a little easier. Yeah, yeah. God bless the internet for us finding each other. I know. <laughs> anyway, Brittany, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you can reach out to her again. It's parisi.brittany at gmail.com. Uh, email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com if you want to reach out to me. Also, you can reach out to me on Instagram, as you guys all know. And uh, until next time, everybody.